Welcome to First Presbyterian Church in North Palm Beach, Florida. We exist to help people pursue and share gospel-driven lives. We hope whether you're investigating faith, a seasoned follower of Jesus, and anywhere in between, this podcast helps you connect with Jesus. Friends, listen now to the book that we love from Romans chapter 15. May the God of steadfastness and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant to the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will rise to rule the Gentiles. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Each year, the Oxford New English Dictionary christens a single word their word of the year. This is a word that had not previously been a a part of official English usage, but has oftentimes through popular use gotten into our vernacular. And each year, the unofficial gatekeepers of our language choose a word that reflects the ethos of the moment, and they christen it their word of the year and then include it in in subsequent editions of the Oxford Dictionary. I was struck as I read the announcement a few years ago that the Oxford word of the year, just a few years ago, was this, unfriend. That was their word of the year just a few years back. Now, as I read the article that announced announced this, it described the way in which that word was chosen because it reflects the dramatic growth of social media and the way that that's in turn shaped our language. But I also think that that word reflects an instinct that has been with us a lot longer than Facebook or Twitter or Instagram have. We have been unfriending each other for a long, long time in the world. I learned this first as a little kid. I'll never forget, as a little kid, going to family 
weddings and looking at pictures of my extended family. I have one, I have one aunt who has been married to a number of different men over the course of her life. And the first man that she was married to was a man named Randy. He was an immense mountain of a man. And their marriage only lasted a few years. And this presented a practical problem in subsequent years at her next weddings and at the weddings of other cousins and aunts and uncles and such. Because this was well before the days of Photoshop. And so here we had all these family pictures with Uncle Randy in them. And so there was the problem of what to do with this. So my grandmother, who was an eminently practical person, she, she simply devised this solution to that problem. She just got out her kitchen scissors and physically cut Randy out of the family pictures. And so whenever we would see pictures of our family at family gatherings or reunions or weddings, there would literally be a Randy-shaped hole in our family pictures. I don't think probably many of us do that literally to our photographs anymore. But it's a picture of the way that we relate to each other, often as not. This is the world that Jesus knew. And this is the world into which the early Christian movement exploded. It was socioeconomically stratified. It's politically polarized. It's culturally divided. And one of the driving forces behind the way that the Christian movement exploded across the world was the way that it practiced welcome to dramatically different groups of people. The way that it included and welcomed people who never in any other sphere of life would be on speaking terms with one another. So for a few minutes this morning, I want to invite you to simply listen together with me, to this ancient pastoral letter that we now call the Book of Romans, as it shows us the way that the gospel, the good news of Jesus, makes us a radically welcoming community in an unfriending world. Now, the text that we listened to together a moment ago is the final flourish in the Book of Romans which is Paul's magnum opus. Paul was one of the main early Christian leaders. He wrote the lion's share of what we now call the New Testament. And this is a section of the book of Romans in which Paul is addressing a deep divide and a a violent argument in the church community in the city of Rome over dietary laws. And it it unfolds the deep cultural rift between some of the people in the community. And Paul here even though he's addressing this really practical issue, he's weaving together many of the main threads of this vast piece of thinking and praying and preaching. And the main thing that Paul says as he begins to address this issue with his community is that the living and dying and rising of Jesus is the center and climax of the whole story of God's work in the world. Jesus is God's steadfastness in action. Paul calls Jesus the long-promised king, the root of Jesse. This king that God had promised he would act through. 
That Paul says God has indeed acted through, as Jesus shoulders the weight of our sin and death, and in so doing, lets God's unconditional mercy loose on the whole creation. The point that Paul makes here, as he is unfolding the story of Jesus, is that the good news of Jesus, the gospel, is about God's lavish mercy for everybody. Paul's insisting that thanks to Jesus, God has thrown open the doors of welcome for everybody now. God has made a seat at the table for everyone. Now that that might not seem like such a scandalous thing to say to us, especially if you've been around Christian life, church for a while, but that was a scandalous announcement in the ancient world from which this text comes. And that's a scandalous announcement in our world still. Historians and scholars tell us that the church community in the city of Rome, the people that these words would have been first addressed to, was a mixed community of people from both Jewish and Gentile backgrounds. Now, this 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 is not like simply having a friend who comes from a different part of the country or something like that. And the arguments that they are addressing, that are being addressed here over dietary laws, this is not like just just considering what's the polite thing to do when you have your vegetarian friend over for dinner or something like that. You know, this issue exposed the deep cultural divide between people of wildly different backgrounds who had different, different ethical systems to life and people who mutually would have despised each other. What Paul is insisting on here is that in Jesus, at one and the same time, God has made good on his ancient promises to his people, to the Jewish people, that he would act through them to rescue the world, that he would free them, make them his own family. And at one and the same time, through Jesus, God has thrown open the doors of his welcome wide open to the whole world. He makes this point by riffing on a string of lines that he's quoting from the Hebrew scriptures. You might not notice this at first, but but the folks who would have been from a Jewish background, who would have first heard these lines, they would have understood right away that Paul here is is drawing texts from all three sections of the Jewish scriptures. The Jewish scriptures that would have been familiar to people who came from that background in this church community, they included three sections. The Torah, the teaching, the a next section called the writings, and a section called the prophets. And here, Paul is quoting, like a master jazz musician that is playing a familiar standard but taking it in a new direction, from all three sections of the Jewish scriptures. What he's saying is that this is where the plot line of the scriptural story has been going all along. The story of God's work in the world that culminates in Jesus has an end, a telos, that is as wide and welcoming as the whole world. These scriptures picture for us that through Jesus dying and rising, God is creating a renewed human family, a new kind of human community that is knit together, not by socioeconomic status 
or by race or ethnicity or by income level or by ideology or politics or blood, but by mercy, by sheer grace. What these words want us to realize is that if we belong to Jesus, we are a part of this community. We're a part of the community of God's family because God has mercifully welcomed us. Now, I want us to, I want us to reflect on the welcome that we're given and commanded to practice here that marks people who belong to Jesus. First, I want to help you see that this is an unparalleled welcome to receive. I hope that you notice that, especially if you're somebody who's, who's exploring Christian faith or, or someone who's been, been away from faith and church and all this kind of thing for, for a while now. I hope you see in these words the way in which the message of the gospel creates a community like the world has never seen before. That the good news of Jesus creates a uniquely inclusive human community. All that you need to do, if you want to, if you want to see a picture of this, is just flip a Bible over to the next page. The next chapter of the book of Romans, Romans 16, is the very last chapter of the book. And it includes a number of the greetings with which people often in that day would conclude letters to the people that they're writing to. And Paul, in writing what we now call the book of Romans, he greets a whole number of people in the church in Rome. Now, if you're somebody who's, who's familiar with the scriptures and you, you read the Bible, even if you've done so for a long time, if you're like me, oftentimes when you read the letters in the New Testament and you get to those, you just page right by that section. Well, there's a greeting to a, somebody with a weird name, there's some, another weird name, another weird name, on and on. Next book, thank you very much. But when you... When you dig a little deeper into who it is that Paul's greeting here, you see a picture of this dynamic of the radical welcome of the gospel. At that day and age, the Roman Empire was divided into people who were, who were freeborn, who were Roman citizens, lords, wealthy, powerful, and people who were slaves. At one time, as much as a third of the whole population of the Roman Empire was in some form of slavery. And here, Paul addresses both people who are free and people who are slaves. People at the very top of the social ladder of their day and people at the very bottom. There is no other place in the Roman Empire where a community would be made up of both free people and slaves who would call each other uh, not lords and servants but brothers and sisters. This is what the gospel does. You'll see addressed if you read through those names both men and also women. This is striking in a deeply patriarchal world like Roman society. Women were considered subhuman. And yet Paul greets a number of women who were leaders in the church of various kinds. He greets a woman named Phoebe, who was a wealthy businesswoman, who would have been the person who delivered what we now call Romans to the church community there, would have been the first person to read it to them and teach it and preach it to people. And he greets a woman named Junia, who was an apostle. She would have been somebody who, who led the whole Christian mission to a whole part of the world. This is what the gospel does. It welcomes people into a kind of community that simply doesn't exist otherwise. Now, if you're somebody for whom you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, that's likely a different perspective about Christian faith than you, than you may have. 
Now, likely you'd assume, you know, Christianity is so exclusive. Like, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be more tolerant to say that God loves and accepts people who are, who are good? But here's the thing. Inevitably, when we say that, we mean people who are good according to how I think about who's good. And then there's the problem, too, of people like me who actually aren't that good. Only the good news of Jesus says you are loved and welcomed by God. Not because of anything in your background, not because of anything you've done or not done, but because of what Jesus has done. I hope you hear that welcome. I had a conversation just a couple of months ago with a man who's become a friend since we moved here who I've, I've met and gotten to know through being involved in rugby in the area. And I had a conversation with him one time where inevitably he asked me what I did for a living. And once, the, once I let the cat out of the bag and told him I was a pastor, this is what he said to me in response. He said, oh man, I've been thinking, I really need to get my act together and, and come to church sometime. This is what I said to him. I said, well, listen, I have good news for you. The community of Jesus, the church community, it's actually for people who don't have their act together. You know, if you're somebody who doesn't have your act together, you're actually a Jesus kind of people. And actually the only way you can be a follower of Jesus is by admitting you really don't have your act together and never really will. That's the kind of welcome that Jesus offers you. I hope you hear that welcome. And then for those of us who are followers of Jesus, it's our vocation, as, as the text says, to live in accordance with Jesus to practice the scandalous welcome that we receive from God in Jesus in our own community and in our own life together, to practice the welcome that we now know. The point that Paul's making in these words is, if you're a Christian, you've been welcomed in to life with God. God has made you a seat at the table in sheer grace. So, Practice the welcome you now know. So maybe the, the question for us to consider as you, as you take these words with you and head back into your week this week, if you're, if you're somebody who's a follower of Jesus, a part of this community, is how can I practice the welcome that I've experienced at the cross and at the table on my own calendar, in my own living room, and at my own table? Here's just a few brief suggestions. You could, uh, you could practice the welcome of Jesus by, by welcoming somebody onto your calendar. I feel this having just been back in town for a few days. I think if you're like me in a place like this, you're, you're pretty busy and your calendar is pretty overstuffed. What would it look like to make room in your schedule to take somebody out to a cup of coffee or a glass of wine, to to welcome them to your table so that you can listen to their story and actually get to know them. In a time and place where we tend to fly right by our, our neighbors, what would it look like for you to slow down enough to welcome, welcome somebody new under your calendar? What would it look like for you to welcome somebody, practice the welcome of Jesus into your physical home? For you to actually know your neighbors, for them to, for them to be welcomed into your, into your actual living room? What would it look like for you to invite folks into, into your own life and orbit to connect with somebody that you don't know, to throw a great party? I'm a firm believer that Christians ought to throw the best parties. Now, you could welcome somebody into your spiritual home. 
This is what we're doing for folks who sign up to serve as greeters and serve at coffee hour. You could do that. I would love if, we'd, if we inundated Kara, our administrative assistance email, with, uh, with offers to help to serve, to greet, do coffee hour, things like that. More and more as a community over the last couple of years, we've, we've talked about that we want to grow as a community into being the kind of place that does not only exist for those of us who are already here, but also exists for our friends and neighbors and colleagues and roommates who aren't here yet, who God loves and who need Jesus' grace just like we do. You could welcome somebody into your spiritual home. When you do these kinds of things, you will be practicing gospel welcome in an unfriending world. Now, uh, you know that that's a lot easier said than done. This sounds good and beautiful and noble when we're reading words on a page, but then when we actually look around at the people around us, things get a little bit more complicated. And I realized that. I read a short story in The New Yorker some time ago called The Long Black Line that brought that home. It tells the story of a man named Finn who has decided to sign up to join a Jesuit community, a community of Roman Catholic Christians that physically live together and practice common life, eat, pray, serve, work together. And as he's a newcomer there, on the very first day when he shows up at the place that he's joining, he's given a tour on his first day by a, by a, a man named Brother Riley. And Finn and Brother Riley immediately begin to get under one another's skin. I want you to watch what transpires. Finn realized, the author writes, that he should shut up while he was on his tour, but he couldn't help himself. And attempting friendliness said to Brother Riley, just call me Finn. Brother Finn creeps me out. Brother Riley, with a show of patience, explained that in the Jesuit order, all novices were called brother. He pointed them out. Brother Quirk, Brother Matthews, Brother Lavelle, etc., and then, lapsing from charity, he added, you are now my brother, Brother Finn, and I don't like it any more than you do. <laughs> oh, that's true, isn't it? I think that for all of us, there are people for whom we'd look around and say, you are my brother or sister, and I don't like it any more than you do. But when we grow into the kind of people, into the kind of community that practices gospel welcome, Jesus-shaped welcome, even when that's complicated or difficult, we begin to be a picture of what God is doing in the world through Jesus. I love how Paul concludes the text that we heard together with a flourish of hope. And the point, I think, is that when we practice the welcome of Jesus with each other, it's a little picture of our great future hope, of God's great future, of the day in which God will make all things new and gather together a worldwide family of people who are changed by his grace in Jesus. And when we practice welcome here and now, it's a first taste, a first picture of that great future. Right now with my daughter, Ray, I'm reading through C.S. Lewis's series of children's, children's books, The Chronicles of Narnia. 
And we're currently reading through The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which is a book in that series in which a number of the children who are the main characters are on this sea adventure together in which they're swept into the Narnian universe and they sail together towards the edge of the world and the border between their world and Aslan's country, which is, which is heaven. And there's a chapter right near the end of the book in which the ship, the Dawn Treader, and these children all arrive at this island that's the last known place that's right at the edge between their world and Aslan's country. And Aslan meets them there and surprises them at the edge between their world and the next with a great feast that they all sit down to together. When I read it, I thought to myself, what a picture of what happens when we, who've been welcomed by Jesus, and now have a seat at God's table, gather together and practice the welcome of Jesus with each other. When we do that, it's like we have one foot in our world and one foot in that great future. One foot here and one foot in Aslan's country. So friends, in an unfriending time and in an unfriending world, may you be a community that practices the radical welcome of Jesus. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for joining us at FPC. For more info and to connect with us, check out www.firstpresnp.